10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin at verse number 35. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 35. Um, I've used the expression before, and I don't think it originated with me. I, I don't really recall the first time I'd ever heard this expression when it comes to studying the scriptures, but sometimes when I'm studying the scriptures, I, I hit a gusher. And, um, you know, the Bible says that the wisdom that Father has um, prepared for us, that it's actually been hidden, not from us, but for us. And because it's hidden, it requires some digging. And uh, I guess that gusher concept comes from folks, you know, I guess Jed Clampett, you know, he was digging. Next thing you know, he hit a gusher, right? And so um, from time to time over the years, we've hit gushers. And, and in our current study on the subject of faith, I can tell you that it, it's, a, it's a gusher. Amen. And, and it's almost, I mean, I was kind of laughing with the Lord today. I'm like, Father, I don't even, I, there's so much here. I, I don't even know what to go to next. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, sometimes when you're unraveling stuff, you know, I use this imagery, you, you got a ball of twine, you're trying to unravel it, and you look for the end to pull, you know, and then you just keep pulling that end and you follow it, you know, where it leads. Well, on this, I pull one end and four ends come out. It's like, and I start pulling all of them and it's just, amen. And so I'm very, very excited. And what I'm most interested in uh, is, is not just preaching individual sermons on this, but ultimately the Holy Spirit building uh, some understanding in your heart as well as mine on this real important subject uh, of faith. Amen. And I was talking to the Lord about it um, today, and you think, well, Father, are, are we putting too much emphasis on this? And he immediately reminded me that it's impossible to please him without faith. Amen. Hebrews eleven six. You, you can't please God apart from faith. If you're going to please God, it's going to involve faith. If it doesn't involve faith, it's not going to please him. And that's how, again, maybe one of the strongest ways to communicate how important this subject is and how important it is for us to understand it and, and get it right. And when we talk about faith, again, for those of you who are new to this study, we're not just talking about faith in general terms or, or, or shallow, vague terms. We're talking about, as Jesus modeled for us, demonstrated for us, and taught us, we're talking about using the measure of faith that Father has given every person as a tool, as a weapon, as a, as a means to receive uh, into our life reality the things that grace has already given to us. Amen. And so we're going to build on that tonight in the time we have remaining together. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. I'm going to read, if you'll notice on the screen, it's 1035 through uh, chapter 10, verse 35 through chapter 11, verse 2. And although there's a chapter break in here when this was originally written and inspired by the Holy Spirit, there were no chapter breaks. And so I emphasize that tonight because the thought continues. And so that's the way we're going to read it the first time through. Um, verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Okay? Now, let's see. Praise God. Let me go back through these. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, every time I go to touch on this, I wind up spending the whole time we're together on it. And, and, and part of that, I believe, is the Holy Spirit leading me that way. But also part of it is, is just because of, of the importance of these things. We, we can't miss this part because if we miss this part, <laughs> there's a whole lot of other things that we're here to talk about that are not going to have the impact or even make sense to you if we don't get this part nailed down. So that's why we have really been emphasizing it over and over again. So in, in Hebrews 11 and 1, where he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think we sometimes incorrectly look at that verse as, as a definition of faith. And, and this, is, this is not so much a definition of faith as it is an explanation of how faith operates. And, and, and how it functions, and how it, how it works, okay? Um, I, could, I could talk to you tonight and, and give you a definition of concrete. And then I could talk to you tonight and I could give you a definition of steel, okay? But then I could draw your attention to one of these uh, beams that's supporting this building and what we see now is that now faith is the substance that that steel beam is resting upon. Okay? So when it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it's not so much that he's trying to give us a definition of faith here as it is he's trying to help us understand how faith functions and the purpose that faith serves and, and most importantly, as these two are joined together, what faith and hope have to do with one another. Concrete and steel are not the same thing, but as it relates to this building, they interact and relate to one another in a, in a very productive and effective way. So in the same way, faith and hope are not the same thing, but as they work together in, in, in our lives and in, in, in my heart and your heart, they're designed to work together in a very productive way and fruitful and effective way. Now, last Wednesday, we talked about Abraham. And Abraham is our example to follow. And we see that God promised some, Abraham some things, and God's promised me and you some things. And we see that at first Abraham struggled, and the Bible even uses the word staggered. The things that God promised Abraham initially staggered him. They were staggering. And my friend, the things that Father God has promised you and me are are equally staggering, amen. But nonetheless, they're true. And we see that Abraham began with thinking it ridiculous, but as the promise that God made to him and, and the things that God said to him, uh, as he began to, to, to develop those things in his life, as he, as he began to meditate on those things, as he began to confess and, and speak those things, we see that and I'm not going to turn there tonight, but in Romans 4, that Abraham believed God, and then once he believed God, he then expected God 
to fulfill the promise that he made. Now, this fits with what Jesus taught us in Mark, the 11th chapter about faith. And that is that you ask God, and in whatever you ask, you believe you have already received. And he said, you will have what you believed. You will have what you've asked. So in that lesson Jesus taught us on faith, He's talking about using our faith to believe we've already received something before we actually hold it in our hands, before we actually possess it. Now, there's some verses we're going to look at in the days ahead that are related to this, but the Bible is very clear that when it, when it, when it comes to something that we're hoping for, and hope means a confident expectation, that when it comes to something that we're hoping for, by virtue of what hope is and what it does, right, we don't have it in our possession yet. In other words, he says you don't confidently expect what you've already received. What you've already received, you enjoy. You, you, you go drive it. You go live in it. You go spend it. You go use it in some way. But the idea that we're still talking about believe that we've received and in confident expectation that we will possess what we believe we've already received, right, is, 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 um, is revealing to us this idea that, that, we that we believe we receive it first because all of this begins in the invisible realm of the spirit. It doesn't operate in the realm of the physical. We're talking about using faith, which is a spiritual substance, to bridge a gap from this physical realm into the realm of God's Spirit and lay hold of what already belongs to you there. Faith receives what grace has already given. By His stripes you were healed. Faith is how you receive the healing into your life reality that's already yours. That's already yours. And so to receive healing by faith means you, you make the case for faith uh, by hearing the Word of God, what the Word of God has to say about healing in your body. Then you release that faith by speaking the Word of God, by speaking in agreement with that Word. And when you release that faith, you believe at that moment you've already received it. Even when there's no evidence, physical evidence, I would say, that anything's changed and anything's different. Man, I, I even said before I started on this road that I started in this road and we, and we stay here, but amen, we're going to move on. I promise tonight we're going to move on. Do you understand, what, do you understand this? I, don't, I, I want to just start like naming off all these different scenarios, you know, but to, to try to give you an example of it. But faith believes... Faith lays hold based upon what God said in the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday class this week at the Foundry. We've been talking about the difference between facts and truth. And you're going to find yourself in all kinds of situations in life where God's truth says it's one way and the earthly facts, circumstances, symptoms, and sense realm evidence say it's another way. And you've got to decide. Are you going to go with what God says? Or are you going to go with how things look, seem, and feel? Now, 
When he says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, that word substance is talking about that which, which lies beneath, that which provides a basis for support. So when he says faith is the substance of things hoped for, go back to Abraham, our example. He had zero hope in this natural world that he and Sarah would ever have a child. But the Bible says contrary to hope, when everything that he looked at around him, circumstances, symptoms, sense realm, evidence, everything he looked at around him said no way, impossible. Contrary to hope means it couldn't be any more opposite than, than hope. It couldn't be any more hopeless. The Bible says in hope believed. Meaning what? Meaning he had hope not because of anything he could see changing around him, but he had a confident expectation based upon something he believed within himself. He believed in his heart that God had made him something he could never make himself. He believed he already received Isaac before Sarah ever was pregnant with that little feller. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He believed that he already received it, and that gave his hope something to rest upon. It gave his hope something to, to settle on. It gave a foundation, concrete and steel. The faith here represents the concrete. The hope represents the steel. If we could somehow suck the concrete out from under and those of you men who were here when we built this building, you know that the concrete around each one of these beams is, for a huge section around it, it's deeper and it's wider. You can't tell it now that it's all poured one level, but under those beams, it's thicker and deeper, right? But if you could somehow pull all the concrete out from under that beam right there, you better not be in this building because there's nothing left to support it. There's nothing left to support it. And so when we talk about faith being the substance of what you hope for, we're talking about that which underpins your confident expectation. Now, there's all kinds of folks that have hope for all kinds of reasons, but we're not talking about wishful thinking here. We're talking about an, an excitement. We're talking about something that that is real in your heart because again it's not based upon anything that you see or the chances or the odds but it's based upon what God said and he doesn't not only doesn't lie he can't lie okay now I want to go back up to verse number 35 and um, I'm gonna spend the rest of our time together talking about that verse right there okay so when he says, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Do you see how the context for all of this is not just faith and hope, because anytime he's talking about confidence here, he's talking about, in other words, confidence can, can imply faith. There's a certain level of trust and confidence in God and in what he said, okay? But also confidence is speaking to hope. Hope by definition is a confident expectation of receiving a thing desired. 
It's, it's like going to the mailbox looking for the check because you know that any day what you've, what you've believed you've already received. I use, for those of you who are new to the study, I use a simple example of me ordering something on Amazon. I show pictures to everybody. You know, look at my computer screen. Look at my new computer monitor. I don't have the thing yet, but I completed a transaction. They said my screen, my computer monitor was on the way. They didn't say their computer monitor. It became mine when I completed the transaction. I don't have it in my hands yet. It's not sitting on my desk yet, but it couldn't be any more mine. Amen. And so I'm now entered into a, a period of, of confident expectation. I'm excited. I'm looking for it. I'm, I'm, I'm coming around the curve at my house, looking up on the front porch to see if it's sitting there. That's what we mean by hope, by confident expectation. And notice now he says, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. What is, what is he saying here? He's saying that a lot of people have believed that they've received, they've entered into confident expectation, but somewhere before, somewhere in between believing they received and actually possessing it in their hands, they gave up. They pulled back. Remember what he said later on in this? He said, we're not of those who draw back and, and miss out, but we're the ones that continue to believe. We're the ones that continue to stand. Okay? Now, let's, um, let's unpack some of this. When he says, do not cast away your confidence, the original language, the Greek language, the words that are translated cast away, it literally paints a word picture of someone removing a garment and tossing it aside. Come on, dial in with me here for just, I know some of you like me, your day started really, really early this morning. Let's, let's, a few more minutes, okay? Cast away, he tells us, do not cast away. Cast away here is painting a word picture of someone removing a garment and tossing it aside. It carries the idea of removing something you had previously chosen to put on, but are now choosing to remove. Okay? So when I get home tonight, I'm not going to sleep in this shirt, right? I chose to put it on early this morning. And when I get home, I'm going to choose to take it off. And because my wife is so good to me, I'm going to remember to put it in the dirty clothes in the laundry room. But I'm going to take something that I chose to put on, and I'm going to take it off, and I'm going to cast it aside. I'm going to, I'm going to cast it away from me. What is on me now will not be on me later tonight, okay? So when he says, do not cast away your confidence, he's saying, don't remove something from yourself that you have previously chosen to add to yourself. In other words, so again, notice, he's talking about when we believe we've already received, and now we enter into that confident expectation. He says you, you don't cast away your confidence because that confidence is going to produce a great reward. That word great in the, in the, in the Greek, it means megas. Megas. Anybody want to venture a guess what English word we get from megas? <laughs> Mega. He's saying it, it's going to produce a mega reward in your life. 
Don't pull back. Don't, don't take off your confidence. Don't cast away your confidence. There was a time in, 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 in the past when you believed you've already received something that you don't yet possess, and because that gave your confident expectation something to rest upon, you put on some confidence. Come on now. You put on some confidence, and, and you've been hanging on to that confidence. Do not cast it away. It has a mega reward ahead for you. Now, this word confidence that we see in verse number 35. As is the case with words oftentimes in the original language, there are multiple variations of... In other words, we have multiple words with slightly different meanings in, in the Greek language that are translated into just a singular word like hope in our English language. Some of you have heard me teaching this before, but, but for instance, the word love, you read your Bible and you find the word L-O-V-E. Well, in the original language, there's at least four different words with different meanings that are translated into our singular word love. And so as the case here, this word translated confidence, if you go to the original language, it is a word that specifies not just confidence or boldness, but are you ready for this? It specifies a confidence or boldness when speaking. A confidence or boldness when speaking. So we saying, don't cast aside, don't take off, don't, don't remove from yourself and set apart from yourself this confidence and boldness that you have previously put on in the way you speak, in the things that you've been saying. Don't back away from that. Don't back down from that. Now, let me remind you that the book of Hebrews instructs us more than once to hold fast our confession. Does it not? It tells us to hold fast our confession. Confidence here is again speaking of a bold, confident confession where, where now we, we are, as the Bible speaks of in Romans 4, remember God calls things that be not as though they were. Abram was very bold in his speaking when he insisted on people calling him Abraham instead of Abram. Abraham, for those of you who do not know, means father of a multitude. He believed that, he, that God made him something that he had no evidence yet in his life other than faith to, to prove uh, that, that he was the father of one, much less the father of a multitude. But notice, his confident expectation was released in a faith confession and even in a hope confession. The Bible in Hebrews talks about both a faith confession and a hope confession. So in both a hope confession and a faith confession, he changes his name to mean father of a multitude. All right, so the context for these verses, the context here is hope and faith. And hope and faith as 
it applies to receiving. Listen to me now. He's talking about you and me receiving tangible things. He's talking about you and me receiving rewards by the use of our faith. He's talking about you and me benefiting in a real, measurable, tangible, verifiable way by faith. Now, I think maybe some of you have already made the connection, but we need to make the connection between confident or boldness in our speaking to what Jesus said about speaking to the mountains in our lives by faith and then confidently expecting what we believe we've already received to come to pass. Let me put it up on the screen. You thought we were going to make it through a Wednesday night without it, right? Mark eleven twenty two. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them. One translation says, Believe you've already received them, and you will have them. Now, if this is not speaking of confident and boldness in speaking, I don't know what is. Pointing to a mountain and telling it to be moved into the sea, speaking to a fig tree and it withering up and dying. This, my brother and sister, is confident and bold speaking. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 17. If you have faith, you will say to that mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. If you have faith. Not if Jesus has faith. He will do it. He did have faith. He does have faith. And He did it. Amen. But He says to you and me, if you have faith, you will say to this mountain. You will speak to it. You will speak to that knee that's hurting you. You will speak to that financial deficit that you've been struggling with. You will speak to it. Faith, right? Now, if you combine the meaning of both words, when he tells us, do not cast away your confidence, it has great recompense of reward. Let me go back to it. If you combine the meaning of both words, he's telling you to not take off and cast aside our confident and bold confessions of faith and hope, but what? He's telling us to endure. Do you see that right there? For you have need of endurance. We have often thought that what we need is faith. We've thought, well, we didn't receive because, you know, we didn't have enough faith. It's not what he says here. He didn't say that you didn't have enough faith. He said you didn't have enough endurance. There's a difference. If 
it was more faith that we needed, he would say, for you have need of faith. If it was more hope that we needed, he would say, you have need of more hope. Clearly, he's talking about the interaction between faith, believing you've already received, and hope entering into a confident expectation for whatever it is that you've asked for. He's saying, do not cast away your confidence because it has megas reward. It has megas benefits. Don't stop short and miss out on what God is, has done and what He has made available to you in your life. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What is the will of God? The will of God is Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. Jesus is telling us what God wants. Jesus is telling us how to operate in the faith that we've been given. And remember, you can't please Him apart from faith. This is one of the key ways that we utilize the faith that He's been given, that, that He gave to us in order to receive the things that already are ours in the realm of the Spirit. All right, let me try to land this plane. Are you okay? I know this may be so obvious that it doesn't need even to be stated, but we're going to state it anyway. Because he said what we really need is endurance. He's communicating that we must stand against some kind of pressure I mean have you ever have you ever put sheetrock on a ceiling without a t-bar or a lift Have you ever sat in a recliner? See, one of those positions requires some endurance. Because you're holding something really heavy over your head in an awkward position while trying to either nail it in, into the studs and, or screw it into, the, into the, you know, the floor joist or whatever, ceiling joist. And you're, you're missing it and all this other stuff, right? See, endurance implies resistance. Endurance implies standing against pressure. Endurance speaks of holding on to a position while circumstances, symptoms, and sense realm evidence are contradicting what you have already believed you received. I told you this last week, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Faith is adversarial. Faith is adversarial. When someone plays golf, and I'm not a golfer, so I won't go too far into this, but when someone plays golf, they're basically playing against themselves or you could say they're playing against the course golf is not like football in other words when uh, 
a golfer goes to, you know, hit a, a ball off the tee. He doesn't have to take his club and knock the other golfers in the head that are trying to stop him from hitting that ball so that he can then swing his club. You know, golf is not adversarial. Football, on the other hand, is adversarial. Football is when one team says, I'm going to take this ball and I'm going to drive it all the way down this field and I'm going to go across that goal line and I'm going to put six points on that board. And another team says, uh, no, you're not. And there's a clash. There's a struggle. Do you see the difference? If you're a golfer and you say it is adversarial, I, amen. Just stay simple with me here, please. All right. So adversarial, listen to me. I, I know that, see, I think sometimes we think when it comes to faith that we think we're like golfers. That we're just playing against ourselves. That when it comes to faith, it's somehow, you know, that, well, you know, faith is just, you know, it's such a beautiful little religious holy thing and blah, 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 you know, and, 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 and it quaint, and it's special, you know, this is kind of, you know, and that, that anytime we step into the arena of faith that, you know, we're really just trying to, you know, get ourselves straight and, and somehow that, that the only adversary in the arena of faith is our own you know, individual uh, hiccups or hang-ups or, or what have you. My friend, nothing could be further from the truth. Faith is adversarial. Adversarial means involving or characterized by conflict or opposition. Our legal system is adversarial. What does that mean? It means there's two opposing sides. They both present evidence because they're trying to prove their position correct and the other position wrong. Faith is adversarial. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let's say you've been struggling with some chronic health issues. And you saw in the Word of God where Jesus not only bought and paid for the forgiveness of your sins, but at the same time, He bought and paid for the healing of your body. And you decide you're going to do the faith on it. Not the math, but you're going to do the faith on it. You're going to do the faithmatics. Not the mathematics, the faithmatics. What does that mean? That means that you're, you're going to uh, do some work in the Bible, and you're going to, for yourself, you're going to find out if healing is for you according to the Word of God, or if it's not. Because you got all kind of people in three-piece suits standing behind pulpits saying that the days of God doing healing and miracles in people's lives is over, right? But then you got other folks that are telling you that not only is healing for you, that you've already been healed and all you need to do is receive by faith what grace has already done for you, what grace has already given to you. And you wonder, well, who's right in all of this? What, what is really right about this? Well, I'm asking you tonight, run the numbers. Get yourself a spreadsheet. Dig into the truth for yourself. And, and so what, see, because see, this is what happens. 
faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. As you're doing that, faith is developing in you. And you finally, after you look at it throughout the Scriptures, where you see God identifying Himself as far back in, in, in the book of, of Exodus, He says, I am the God who heals you. And I change not. We just go on and on with this, right? You can follow it all the way through. You can see healing. We've got even, we, we'll even help you. We've got some cheat sheets for you. 101 things the Bible says about your physical healing. So you do the faith on it. You decide that you're going to take the side that you're healed. That by His stripes you were healed. My friend, you're not, you're not squaring off against yourself. There's a, another side of this that is very well prepared. The devil has, has been... See, faith is adversarial because you have an adversary. And he's the source of your adversity. And he has, for thousands of years, been practicing and has gotten very good at convincing people they're not healed even after they believe that they already are. I'm just telling you. Two opposing sides presenting evidence to prove their position correct and the other wrong. Faith is adversarial in nature because we have an adversary who opposes us. Every time we take a stand and release our faith, we are engaging our enemy, attacking his resistance, and attempting to move mountains he has no interest in having moved. To endure means to stay the course, and staying the course is specified as continuing to wear your garment of bold and confident speech in the face of all kinds of pressure to give up, take it off, and back down. I'm not trying to paint a negative picture for you, but I am trying to paint a realistic picture for you. And the bottom line of it, again, is fight the good fight of faith. Contend for the faith. When you step into the arena of faith, your adversary is going to do everything he can by using, go over it one more time, circumstances, things that stand around you in a circle, symptoms, knee still hurting, hip still hurting, back still hurting, bank account still empty, power bill still past due, whatever. He's going to point to all of the circumstances, symptoms, sense realm evidence to try to get you to move off of Cast away, 
a position of bold and confident speaking that you had once assumed. Amen? All right, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Think about it for a moment. Hold fast your confession of faith. Why would we be told to hold fast our confession of faith if there's not someone trying to take it away from us? Do you see what I'm talking about here? In other words, you get on public transportation in some places in, the, in our world. You better hold fast your wallet. You better hold fast your phone. You better hold fast your watch. You better hold fast your children. You better, right? Because you're, you're in a place where there's lots of people that become very skilled. They, they can have your wallet and be gone and you don't even, you don't even know, right? What, what do we, anybody remember this one? Put it in your front pocket, <laughs> right? Put it in your front pocket. You're, you don't you don't just you know get on a get on a, a bus and set your thousand dollar iPhone in the seat beside you. Somebody might ought to say, "Man, you better hold on to that," because there's a potential that somebody's going to come and try to take it from you. So when he says, "Hold fast your confession of faith," he also says, "Hold fast your confession of hope." We'll talk about that a little more next week, but again. We ought to realize what he's saying there is that there's somebody that's going to challenge you on it. The enemy is going to do everything he can to get you to cast it away. Cast it away. But we're going to endure, amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for breakthroughs in our lives. Thank you, Father, for teaching us and helping us, Lord, to understand and and Lord, take these things that we're learning from you on Wednesday night and apply them to our individual lives in, in real meaningful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you again so much for being here. I know it's been a long day for a lot of you, but good things coming, good things coming.